0: Have you ever looked around your business and thought to yourself, is this it? Are you making money, but yet you want more, or maybe you have ideas in your head, but you're just not sure how to develop them into a revenue stream. Welcome to the caged vision podcast with Carrie Roan and Lisa Beck, where we help you unlock your business potential and scale your business beyond trading time for money. Each week, You'll hear ideas, interviews, and case studies of others who, like you, are subject matter experts and want more from their business. Let's do this. Hey, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Caged Vision Podcast. Wow. It's getting better when I say that. You
1: <laughs> drew that out. It's like you're practicing. You, do you
0: think that they didn't know what we were going to talk about because I dangled the podcast?
1: I think so, yes. Yeah. I think that but makes you know all what? the difference. My
0: father-in-law might still not know that this is this. John Luce, Captain John Luce, this is a podcast. <laughs> not a Friday fun fact, but a podcast. And we actually have a very special podcast today, and it's special because
1: we're going to turn the tables turn on Mr. Rome. The tables,
0: and I have to shut up and listen to a question and then respond, which is very hard for me. You're, you're why, already failing at it. <laughs> that's why this may never actually <laughs> get published, right? Anyway, all right, Lisa, the ball's in your court.
1: Wow. This is fun having all this power. In fact, maybe we'll just turn your mic off and I'll just talk for the next 20 minutes. No, nobody wants to listen to that. We thought it would be fun. So as you all know, and Carrie's been talking about as we've been going through strategy and how to simplify and grow and how to transform your company I really thought it would be fun to sort of interview Carrie about how he came up with this methodology because it's not like he woke up one morning and said, Oh, look, this is what it should look like.
0: Was he, that a question Do I need no, to answer? No, just be quiet okay. for
1: a minute. It gets to be my turn today. Okay.
0: I just didn't know if that was a question I need to answer. I did wake up one day. Anyway, we'll get there. You, Go ahead.
1: Okay. Anyway. So, I thought it'd be fun to ask him sort of how the process came to be and talk about his personality and his career journey and sort of really what addicts means in terms of strategy. So, Mr. Rome. Mm,
0: I didn't know. Maybe we'll skip some of the later part. I didn't know we were going to get into all that. We're getting stuff. into all of it. I wouldn't have signed up for this. Yeah,
1: uh, we're getting into all of it. So, tell us. I don't us even have anything to drink. I should have gotten you something before we started. Sorry. Um, Be that as it may. Be that. Tell us, because I find it fascinating that you are a CPA. Knowing that who you are now, why? Because you're just not a CPA.
0: Uh, I was trapped as a CPA for a while. No, I. um, In in, my father is a dentist, and um, he's he. Provided a great life for us, and um, but I had a friend. His his name is Barrett McKnight, and his father was Tullis McKnight, and Mister Tullis owned an insurance company, and I just was drawn to that business owner. Just just loved it, and just loved it, and they, and it, it was um, just like any business owner. He went through highs and lows, and it wasn't as predictable. And for some reason, I was drawn to that, which is not your typical accounting sort of personality. However, um, as I started at LSU and I finished the first year, my father said, uh, uh, "So, Carrie, I was undeclared as a major." He said, well, "So, Carrie, what are you going to major in next year?" And I said, "Well, um, I think I may just, you know." Kind of, stay the course where I am, you know. And He said, "Tell you what, take all the time you need. I'm just not paying for you to go back until you pick a major."
1: I really like your father.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like hits you between the eyes. Yeah. And stuff. So, um, he I, I said, "What do you want to do?" And I said, "Well, I'll, I, I want to own my own business one day." He said, "Well, what kind?" I don't, I don't know. You don't know what kind? I was like, "No." But I'll figure it out when I see it. When I know it, I'll figure it out. And he said, go talk to your Uncle Raul.
1: Really? Your uncle's name is Raul?
0: Yeah, that and just, he has an not, awesome accent, that too. That just does
1: not sound like a Cajun name. Uncle Raul?
0: Raul? Uncle Raul?
1: That sounds and you Cajun? drag it out like that, Raul? Raul?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're getting there. It was All a little, right. little, little twangy, but okay. you're getting there. Anyway, I go talk to Uncle Raul, and he's like, what you want to do? And I said, want to own my own business? You need to major in accounting. I was like, oh,
1: no. No, not accounting. But you did.
0: I did. And, and not was... only
1: that, what's worse, you became a CPA. Somehow. Somehow.
0: Somehow I became a CPA um, only because they didn't limit the number of tests that you can take. Is and that per- it? Just hard-headed persistence. I wasn't going to give up. Okay. Even though... Um, you know, I am I am a terrible test taker. i um, struggle with reading comprehension, always have. And um, just just when in studying and never been tested for you know, ADHD or all that stuff, I but can probably confirm that you yeah, have it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I passed it, and then I was working next thing you know, I'm working at the the largest c p a firm in the world arthur anderson um and i loved i loved um the only thing I liked about the accounting was going to see a new client and I would go see a new client and I would learn about their business, and then all the accounting stuff would be boring um But that's why, to answer your question and to stop talking, which is hard for me, that's why I majored in accounting. Because my uncle said, well, if you want to major, if you want to own your own business, you have to be able to look at the business and you have to be able to determine whether you're doing good or bad. And you can't rely on somebody to tell you that. You need to know. So I don't care how long you do it, but you need to figure it out. So I think that was
1: pretty good advice. Pretty good
0: advice, yeah. It's
1: definitely done well for you.
0: It's done well for me. Yeah. So then
1: you sort of transferred into the private sector and you became COO yeah. for a couple of different yeah. companies. Yeah. Got out of um public accounting. Tell me what you Like when you made that transition, did you have a vision in your head of what you wanted business to look like or what strategy looked like to you? I mean, we joke and say nobody ever taught us how to do strategy. You just sort of learn on your own. But, you know, you learned some things from your time as an accountant that you moved into a COO. Tell me a little bit about, although I am really, really frightened about getting deep into your brain and asking you these questions, but tell us a little bit about your theory as you began to work as a COO and put these pieces together.
0: Yeah, so um, when I was at Arthur Anderson, they got caught up in the Enron scandal and the Justice Department needed to blame somebody. They blamed Arthur Anderson. Later, two years later, came back and said, sorry, we didn't need to blame you. But after that, Anderson had been lost. And so I had, at that point, I had decided I no longer want to not have a seat at the table. I no lo- which meant I, I want to earn some equity in a company, which meant I have to be willing to take less money And to earn that sweat equity and so the first company that hired me to do that three months after I started I mean I looked at the financials but I didn't know how bad it was and three months after I started the CEO said you got until August or I'm shutting the doors
1: Talk about trial by fire. And
0: that was like in in July, which he gave me two months. And I said, I can't do that. But give me until December. And you got to be willing to write off some of this old inventory and start from scratch. On a paper, it's going to be lost. But if we look at starting fresh with a plan, um, and that was, I probably made more mistakes at that company because... I use the term um, over-function as an executive. If if that word's in the dictionary, which it's not. But let's pretend it is. Um,
1: it could be uh, the 2019 word of the year. It
0: was a picture of me in that setting with a lot of employees. Um, like, I went in to control every scenario. I went in, fired half the staff, got rid of... I mean, it was... It was awful, but somebody had to make these hard decisions, and I went in, and and then, but then everybody felt like they couldn't make a decision on their own.
1: Oh, do tell me, you tell the story about the guy going, yes.
0: Slade was our warehouse manager, and one day um, there was, I think there was five or seven people there, and Slade walks up. And they're all there asking me questions that they could have answered themselves. You know, with addicts, part of the training is to help your employees think critically. None of them, I had somehow taken all of that away from them. In my my desire to control the situation, I had taken all of that and put it on my back and never showed them how to do it on their own so
1: none of them took ownership none for of them took
0: ownership which means i was responsible for everything because i made every decision um so i get to slade and slade says now mind you it was an internet retail company we sold products online and every day we had to ship products so slade comes to me and says hey uh i said, hey slade what you got he said hey um do you think I should uh, go to the post office right now? I, I don't. I don't know, Slade. Do you need to go to the post office? Yeah. Is now a good time? Yeah. And I said, Slade, why would you ask me that question? And he said, Well, I didn't know if there was something else that you wanted me to do, or for you. And, and it was just that was the height of like.
1: Was that like a I'm light doing, bulb moment when you realized? Yeah, but I
0: didn't know how to fix it. I I just knew I was in it because what would happen is every day they would back out of the parking lot at five and I would start my work and I started to get resented, resent, build resentment and get angry. And I would take that anger home. Right. Yeah. I'm sure Jana was like, I hate this job. And then I, you know, as a male, I take that as you're not supporting me. She's like, you are an idiot, (laughs) (laughs) which I'm not arguing, but (laughs) Yeah, so that was it. Was it was really really hard. So we, I wasn't even at the point of um, starting to develop a a concept around strategy. We were drinking out of a fire hose, and um, yeah, yeah.
1: So then you moved on and you started Cypress.
0: Started Cypress, and and
1: started problem solving. Correct. Yeah. So
0: so hell south hits, and there's a company out of Atlanta that had like five employees and they had to tie into HellSouth. And next thing you know, they had 300 consultants out at HellSouth for three years.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: And I'm thinking, I can do that. <laughs> I used to identify problems all the time. So um, I started Cypress Resources to go and find big problems, go and help that executive scope out the depth of the problem, build a solution, and then architect a team to go fix it. Think of a SWAT team coming in. I did that for five years. I mean, problems, just exclusively problems. Yeah, that's what we started out. And it didn't, you know, it didn't sound like such a business plan at first because I was just thinking, like, well, that company made a bunch of money. And um
1: but it worked. Of course it didn't hurt that it was during the financial crisis. No, that did hurt.
0: No, it it, did hu- it? oh my gosh, are you kidding me? See, I would call people and say about projects and they're like, "I'll, t- I'll give you a project. Can you help me find a job because I'm worried this place is shutting the door."
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. See, that's so funny because it was exactly opposite for me since I worked in the financial sector when my bank failed in 2009, I started consulting with other banks, and at the time, it was a boon because they didn't want to put anybody on staff, but they'll let you come in and fix a problem, and Lord knows they had plenty of them to fix.
0: No, what happened what happened is I was going to Atlanta um, every other week for a full day. Uh, I was talking to um, big companies, Georgia Pacific, Rock Ten. you know, I like to hunt elephants. I was yes, going you do um, and I would fly to Charlotte. I flew to Portland, Oregon to meet with Intel. I mean, you talk about, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'll, I'll having a meeting with Intel. I've networked into there. Um, I drive to Houston. I mean, I am all over the place. Well, when the recession hit, it became risky to use somebody that wasn't battle-tested that you hadn't used before. So now, all of a sudden, I'm like, okay. So we had to retreat back to just the Birmingham and surrounding market and sort of pivot the model a little bit. And that was, yeah, it was tough. It was tough. We had a project going on in New Orleans that, um, and another one that had those two projects not, and had we not been in those so deep, I don't know that we'd have made it. Because we went for about 18 months before the next one started up. Oh my goodness. Nobody spending any money.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah. So then, so you were a problem solver, yeah. And then something happened, and you were like, "I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to offer solutions. I want to look to the future instead of fixing things from the past." What, how did that mind shift occur? Well,
0: I'll tell you when it started. You know, when you're solving problems, you believe that the problems, the value of the problem that you're solving, is probably bigger than the person that has the problem. They just want it to go away. And that that value, the problem with that business model is that value does not last very long. So I went in to the COO of a large 18,000-employee company, and we finished ahead of schedule under budget. I went to go get my attaboy, and he said, and he could sense, you know, that I felt this sense of accomplishment, you know, and he he said, Carrie, um. You did great. You did great. But I wouldn't have hired you if I didn't think you could have done what you did. The problem I have, and the problem I still have, is 12 months ago, 18 months ago, as an executive, I am on an island. And I am trying to think about all of the opportunities that we could pursue. And I'm trying to narrow it down to the single best opportunity that then's going to trickle out into all these pro- projects that hopefully don't become a problem. So when I really needed you it was 18 months ago. He said, you're missing an advisory service. I came back from the meeting. I told Nick, hey, Nick, we're going to change business. We're no longer chasing projects. We're only going to do advisory and people are going to pay us a retainer, a monthly retainer to do this. He's like, you're crazy. Maybe. Revenue dropped. To one-third of what it was. Oh, my goodness. One-third. But I was on a recurring revenue. People were paying me a pretty good monthly amount to lay out. We're still working on problems now. But they were paying me a nice chunk of change each month to lay out on this system that I went back from the office and created. And just to see it and organize it and advise them on it,
1: So did you use this in the past? And so this is, at this point, it was just strategy roadmap or something along those ways. And you had used it, it to do the problem solving and now you were flipping that to be solution oriented.
0: I hadn't flipped yet. I mean, it was being very successful. I'd go in and I would advise people on the projects they should do. I would advise them on what they should do and then we would go do them. So I'm getting, let me get this straight. I'm getting someone to pay me To then get the first look at all the projects we're going to do. And like once one case, we did 17 projects in a row shooting fish in a barrel. I'm in the height of making more money than we'd ever made. I'm like, I don't want to do problems anymore. I think I have a sickness.
1: You know, I'm beginning to wonder that myself now that I'm hearing this full story. But
0: but I said, I don't want to focus on problems anymore. And I want to I want to focus on opportunities now that. That did not really. That was. That's you know that. That's the words that were spoken inside my head, not yet out loud. Um, but those sort of close said, okay, yeah, they could sense there's a pivot, there's a change. And about 2015, right when we were when we met, it's um, we started talking about this, and that's when it really started to crystallize as opportunity.
1: And so now you know, one of the things that we've worked on over the past 18 months or so is packaging this up in a way, because we've been using it and you've been using it for forever, but packaging it up in a way that we can teach other people how to use it so that they can use it within their organization. So um, explain a little bit about the seven steps, because I love your statement simplify and grow by transferring what you know yeah. and you do that through the seven steps in addicts which mm-hmm. is our strategy go guide so tell me a little bit about like how that process came to be and you know what your big picture thoughts are on that
0: um well it's, it's, it's no i mean it's been published a lot i don't have to name just google strategy failure implementation in you might get different numbers. Roughly, the numbers are ninety percent of all strategies fail to get implemented. Ten percent are successful. So, is it the strategy or is it the implementation? Clearly, not—it's not, it's not necessarily strategy because when we start talk, talking to business leaders, it's not the fact of—it's not the plan.
1: No, they all say they have a plan.
0: They all have a plan. It's how that plan gets executed. And and the analogy that we've started to use, which is really, really good, is if you're all familiar, if you're listening, you you think of a jigsaw puzzle, a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. Now, on the outside of that jigsaw puzzle, there is an image of what that completed picture should look like. And inside are a bunch of pieces. So most (laughs) organate... Organize.
1: Organize.
0: Most organizations, they spend that 12, 18 months narrowing down all of the opportunities, and they get it to the one, and they build a plan around that opportunity to add value, to grow, and that's their strategy. And they present that to their team just like you would present that puzzle cover. The problem is after they present that, They take all the pieces of the puzzle and they dump it on the table and then they go hide the cover and they wonder why their team hasn't executed. So what we have developed, the whole philosophy is around this is to see, to visualize, to see all that you have in flight and to be extremely focused on the front and very clear. Clarity about where you want to go is critical to really building it out. But the seven steps... Are the first is objective. So what is the single biggest opportunity of all of the opportunities that you've been considering? And you've narrowed it down to maybe two or three, and then you got it down to that one. You said, okay, this over the next 12 months, this is our single biggest opportunity to add value in this organization. That is your 12-month objective. And you're gonna, you want the team to clearly understand it. We recommend three to five years And to rally around that. Three to
1: five words. What did I say? Three to five years.
0: Oh, yeah. Don't take three to five years to write that. That's a bad
1: idea. Let's just choose three to five words to make the team rally around. I'm glad you're listening. I am listening.
0: So then the next step is to go to your team and to say, okay, team, now that we've all agreed on this, which takes a little work, but now that we've all agreed on this, what would have to be true in order for this to be a success? and you're asking that in the context of milestone goals. And those milestone goals, we like three 90-day goals. And then all you do is you simply move through to the next step. You look in the context of that 90-day goal, and you say, okay, what are these projects that we need to do in order to make sure that this 90-day thing happens so that this 12-month thing happens? And when you do that, The project, people use project a lot, and it's really just the content of the situation. The situation is 90 days, and the situation is your 12-month objective. As you move through, you create timelines to give um, a context to the project, and then you're starting to fall into the ownership category. And that ownership piece is where, when done correctly, when you utilize our system, you give your employees ownership as a project owner, as a resource owner, and as someone that you're going to trust to update you, that's where the ownership process happens. The feedback we've received, so many people are asking questions downstream, but they haven't done the work upstream. And so the seven steps take you through from an executive clearly defining the opportunity and the middle piece is defining the transformational work. That's the projects and the timelines. That's where you're collaborating with your team. If you're an executive, don't tell your team what their projects are. Ask them what would have to be true in order for this to be a success. Let them tell you. And then transferring that ownership to your team. Because as an executive, as a business leader, once you lay out where you want to go, Once you define the transformational work, guess what? You are solely dependent on them to transfer their knowledge, to transfer what they know, back to you. And if you haven't created that accountability structure, if you haven't created a system for getting precise updates, you're not going to get the information back, and you're going to be like me, over-functioning as an executive, Finding yourself doing the work yourself and finding yourself watching everyone back out of the parking lot while you stay there and start your day job.
1: So now that we have this and have sort of organized this, I'm so excited because we've actually turned this into a software that people can use online because we were doing this in our private workshops with groups and we had like pads of paper. I and love at that the story. end of the the workshop, people were going, Hey, can we take these with us so that we can keep yeah. doing this? Yeah. And we were like, wait a minute, we've got, we're really onto something if they're taking these pads of paper. And so we've turned it into a software so you can do it online <laughs> yeah. and created training to go with it. So excited. Um, yeah
0: let me add a little to that story because when we started we started doing private workshops with for our private clients so we would do everything that we have now packaged in software and in training we're doing that in a workshop setting we had pdfs printed out where people would write in they would physically write in and what lisa just references we had 10 extra copies and they said can we have these and we said sure but i looked at lisa and i said if you don't know how to It's just blocks on a piece of paper. If you don't
1: know how to use it, I don't know what good it's going to be. It's
0: not going to do any good. And and the last thing that we wanted is to put something in someone's hands that they did not know how to use. For 10 years, we've been refining this and fine-tuning this. This is not something that just happened overnight. And, you know, this comes from our target audience are busy executives. They're business leaders. The beauty of this product is that nobody at an Ivy League is teaching this. You told us this is what you need, and as it turns out, we built it, and you like it.
1: So let's talk a little bit about what we've been doing, which is we've been doing some online training over the past couple of days uh, weeks, and we have an opportunity for...
0: We have Every, a launch.
1: We have a launch. It's so exciting.
0: We have a launch. This is so much fun because what we we're, we're we're excited about this because we are we are we're calling it the complete attic system and by that we have bundled together things that we won't bundle together for another 11 months. So if you want to wait till the heels of 2020, you can do that. Regrets a tough thing. Yeah. Anyway, so we've bundled together. We have software. Yes. We have.
1: A 12-month Seven hours course. of training. Yes. Yeah. That
0: fa- yeah. you can pause, repeat, go back. We have a quick win strategy guide. We have a 12-month selling on social media, which we probably pretty good at.
1: think so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: People are calling us from other states saying, yep. come. Anyway. Um what else do they get? They get
1: uh, Well, they get two coaching calls, two weekly coaching
0: two calls. Two weekly coaching calls where you call in and say, hey, I need help uh, you know, figuring out how to complete one of these things on this, once you have the software. Or your team says, hey, I'm in the midst of this project. I need help getting clarity about before I go and report to Lisa, can you help you know, bounce some ideas off? So that, that's saving the business leader time. When you're shortcutting the path to success and you've made it digital, Mm. you're on to something.
1: And then we are also doing a free strategy call. call. Free strategy
0: call because we want you to hit the ground running. And when does this podcast drop? Next Thursday? The 6th. 6th. So if you are listening to this, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to go Where do they go?
1: Wait, that means today, theoretically, is December the 6th, when it drops.
0: Oh, they know we record this before we drop it. Of course they do.
1: They're going to go to addictslaunch.com. So that's A-D-D-U-X-launch.com.
0: Forward slash?
1: I don't think you have to forward slash anything. Anyway,
0: so go to addictslaunch.com. You'll register you will get the announcement of the f- the fourth training we've got three trainings but if you miss the other ones don't worry about it the fourth one's really gonna be powerful and um, you're gonna be able to see and get everything that we will and it and it stays open for five days why do we keep it open for five days and then close it well because we've committed to two coaching calls per week and
1: We just don't have any more time. We
0: don't have any more time. So we're not offering this complete system. We'll unbundle it and we will, you can buy bits and pieces of it. But if you want this at a price that is part of the launch, then you're going to want to go addictslaunch.com, register, watch the fourth training. If you like it, we'll see you inside the course.